So don't think this is deja vu, but we're going to read the same passage we read last week from Acts chapter 2. However, we're focusing on one different word than the word that we focused on last week. So this is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'd like you to uh, watch this video. This is Veterans Day weekend, and we'd like to thank the uh, number of men and women who have served in, in the past. But watch this, and then we'll, we'll have a prayer just after that. Three teens were arrested today for defacing the Kensington Park War Memorial overnight. The destruction includes painted messages against the military and the war in the Middle East. The three teens were picked up in the early morning Rick, hours after evidence was left at the scene. Grandpa, something wrong? Some people sure have short memories, and those who are too young to know need to be taught. Come on, I, I want to show you guys something. I learned to defy gravity. To honor my family. I lived in the belly of a beast. I fixed the hearts of iron monsters. I became a worm in the mud for dignity. For honor. For righteousness sake. For God and country. I fought for you. I fought for you. For you. I fought for you. I fought for you. I fought for you. I fought for you. For you. For you. For you. For you. I fought for you. I fought for you. I fought for you, and I do it again.
I wonder if you would sit down, but those who are veterans, if you would stand up, because we'd like to applaud you. Thank you. Father God, we live in a culture where we aim not to glorify war, but we also respect and honor those who give up time and seasons of their lives to protect the freedoms that we have, to stand up for what is right, and to do things that are difficult. Thank you for these men and women who have sacrificed part of their lives in order to do what you called them to do. We ask that you will bless them. We know that sometimes there are tough memories that stay for the rest of their lives, we know that there are costs that came that uh, continue to, to walk with them through the rest of life. But we ask that you would allow them to know that they have our gratitude and yours. We also pray for those who make hard decisions today. We pray for the leaders of our country and our president in the midst of the turmoil that the entire world seems to be in right now. We pray for the wisdom to know how to stand up for justice and also how to aim for mercy for those who are caught in situations that are not of their own doing. Lord, these are complex times, and we need the best uh, minds and the best hearts, and most of all, we need your wisdom and your strength for this season for our nation and for the world. And so we ask that you would bring about your plans, that you would bring about a lasting peace, a real peace, a manageable peace. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. When you think of the word fellowship, what thoughts come to mind? Most fellowships are associations of people who share a particular passion or interest or a group of them, but there are different types of fellowships. For instance, in the academic world, some top-level graduate students compete for fellowships. Uh, a fellowship allows that student to work towards a master's degree or perhaps a doctorate, receiving free tuition in exchange for teaching sometimes introductory classes at a college level or perhaps grading papers for a professor. And they refer to this as having a fellowship. 
Some fellowships are related to gaining skills in, in a field, uh, perhaps art or writing or furthering skills in, in some other area. While I was researching this, I noticed an American Library in Paris visiting fellowship, which awards $5,000 to a worthy applicant who is writing a book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, or who is working on a feature-length documentary film project. The fellowship covers the cost of travel, accommodations, and other costs. I'm just wondering, any inspiring writers who would really like just to have a trip to Paris and somebody pay for it for $5,000? If you've got a good book idea, you can apply. When I went off to college, I noticed that most of the high schools and some of the colleges in the Midwest had this fellowship of Christian athletes that have chapters that met in schools after hours. Here, coaches and players from several different sports could come together, exploring how faith can be expressed through the pursuit of excellence on an athletic field. I would have loved that when I was in high school, but I don't think that even existed here in Massachusetts 45 years ago. While most fellowships are positive in nature, if you've been a sports fan around Boston for very long, you may remember when Rick Pitino was the head coach of the Celtics and also the president of the Celtics, and failing in his attempt to restore the Celtics to their earlier years of glory, he complained about the nonstop high expectations of the Boston press, Boston sports fans, and the 24-hour sports radio stations. And he referred to this collection as, quote, the fellowship, or the fellowship of the miserable. And that's how we're known sometimes around the rest of the country as sports fans. We're the fellowship of the miserable, except on those years when the team is winning. I think that was the beginning of the end for Rick Pitino, who ended up a Hall of Fame coach because of his college experiences, and yet a grand failure at the NBA professional level. Now, here, here's the point of walking you through these different kinds of fellowships. Perhaps the most widespread use of the concept of fellowship today comes in the context of the local church. We talk about fellowship as a core value of our church. Some churches build the concept of fellowship into the church name. So you have Cranston Christian Fellowship in Rhode Island or the Fellowship in Easton, Fellowship Baptist Church, Fellowship Methodist Church, and so on. Today, as we continue to talk about the Church on the Move, which is our, the name for our November message series, our theme today is Connected by Fellowship. We're looking at just a few verses in Acts chapter 2 where the, the very first church shows up and then begins to explode on the scene, and one of those key concepts has to do with fellowship. And so we're looking back into the days before the church-owned buildings or was defined by, by what happened at a specific hour when people sat down for a meeting. The church was inventing ways and finding ways to express itself, to, to meet, to gather, and to have influence. And there was only one church at this moment, the first church of Jerusalem, and God was doing something fresh and dynamic. The church on the move was developing week by week, and it was making a lasting impact. So we're calling this series Church on the Move. Let me welcome you here this morning. I'm really glad that you're here today at North River. Uh, I'm glad to see so many here in our Pembroke Worship Center. I was actually told by a friend to expect fewer people this morning because people might be watching the Patriots who are starting right about now in Germany. Uh, if you leave, I, I will not forgive you for that. Uh, just kidding. Um, 
Let me also warmly welcome all those, those of you who are watching online. If you are watching online, I know that you're not watching the Patriots game. Otherwise, you're going to see this later on. But we're really glad that you connected with us today. And I hope that you'll invite somebody else to continue doing that with you. Let us know how you are finding that experience of watching online. We'd love to learn more about how we are doing this. Some of you are newer to North River and you've been participating in the life of, some have been participating in the life of our church for several years. So whether you're just starting out or you're a veteran or somewhere in between, what we are talking about this morning is of importance to all of us. For we are all here. We're all here in this room or we're watching live online right now and there's something that drives each of us to be here at this particular moment, at this particular location, on this particular morning. Therefore, how we understand the church as a fellowship, how we embrace the reality of fellowship, and how the church functions as a fellowship is of vital importance to us all. Here's the question that I'm asking this morning behind this message. Why does fellowship matter? And so I'd like to address that question about why fellowship matters. Here's the first answer to that. Fellowship is fundamental to Christian life. It is not something that is secondary, that is optional. If you really want to experience the fullness of Christian life, you have to grapple with this concept that fellowship is fundamental. So we go back to the main verse that this series is built on, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's what we looked at last week, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So last week, as we launched this series, we began studying the concept of devotion. The dictionary defines devotion this way as an unswerving fidelity or loyalty to a person or a cause. So our, our person that we are loyal to is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our cause is the mission of the church that Jesus launched. By definition, an unswerving loyalty is something that is not temporary and it's not fleeting. It is by nature consistent and unrelenting. It is more than an interest. It's a passion, perhaps a driving passion or a defining passion. While the church is equipped by and united around apostolic teaching, the church at its core is a fellowship. Okay, another definition, the basic definition for a fellowship is a friendly association of people who share common interests. The New Testament concept is built around a New Testament Greek word, koinonia, which literally means common life. That the more that we grow in our faith and in our experience, there is something about a common life that we are meant to share together. So at its core, Christian fellowship is more than just sharing common interests. It's a shared life based on shared interests, shared values, a shared experience, and a shared new reality. So why was the very first church, the only church in existence in Acts chapter 2, why was that church devoted with this unswerving loyalty to fellowship or to the fellowship? Well, first, they were united by their connection to Jesus. Some of the people in that church were among those who had seen, heard, and walked with or were healed by Jesus. Can you imagine the passion that they would have for coming together with other people who had experienced those same things as they're remembering back to the words of Jesus or the times when they saw him or the miracles that they saw? Think of it. The very first church was formed only weeks and months 
after the resurrection and then the ascension of Jesus. What was fresh and live in their memories was powerfully drawing them together. So they were connected to Jesus. They were also united through their connection to the apostles. Last week we saw how the, their first devotion was to the apostles' teaching. This is what kept them on track, that the apostles were commissioned to carry on the teaching of Jesus. And so, yes, they taught the gospels. Yes, they taught from the Old Testament. But the New Testament letters we have were written as the apostles were solving problems that the church ran into as it was developing and continuing to grow. And this allowed them to develop a shared faith and belief system as the church was developing during those years. And so most of them developed a deep loyalty to the apostles as well. And a third reason that they were so powerfully connected is that they were united by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't just have a belief about a God who was off in the distance. They had experienced the coming of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit that God promises to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Early in Acts chapter 2, we read about how the Holy Spirit came upon this early church group with power. And it was power for teaching, power for healing, power for God's life-changing grace to break forth in their lives. And through the Holy Spirit, they had all entered a new relationship with God himself. This was new. This was exciting. It was fresh. The whole city of Jerusalem and people in other cities wider from there were all talking about what was happening with this very first church in Jerusalem. So, the first point is very simple. Fellowship is fundamental, not ancillary to Christian life. Here's the second answer to that. Our fellowship, meaning the fellowship that we have here together, is rooted in fellowship with God. Let me jump ahead to uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. There, John writes, we, re- we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you all may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Notice what's going on here. The concept of fellowship is, is a powerful concept. It shows up nine times in the New Testament. And there are steps that we find in this foundation that is built here. First, we are called into fellowship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9 says, God who is faithful has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you are a Christian, if you've made that decision and you've put your faith in Jesus, you believe that he's the Messiah, that he's the Christ, that he's the son of God, you are called into fellowship with Jesus. That's where it starts. Second, the second level is uh, fellowship with Jesus brings us into fellowship with God, the Father, and with God, the Holy Spirit. So the verse I just read a moment ago, 1 John 1, 3 adds, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you all may have fellowship with us. But not just fellowship with us. John goes on to say, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So human fellowship with the church is one layer. But then there's this other layer that we are drawn into where you have direct fellowship with God himself through Jesus. The third layer is that this fellowship is marked by grace and love. So 2 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then there's a fourth layer. We welcome others into fellowship. 
Galatians 2.9 speaks of how the Apostle Paul, when he was just beginning to become known as a, as a Christian teacher, was offered the right hand of fellowship by James and Peter and John, three of the, of the disciples who'd walked with Jesus and who were well known. This was a recognition that each one belongs to the kingdom of God here and now. There was expressed through a handshake, but this meant so much more than a simple handshake. They were welcomed into a circle of fellowship of those who were representing Jesus to the world at that time. So we operate on all four of these levels. We're called into fellowship by Jesus. We discover that that fellowship isn't just on the human level. It's also participating with God himself. We find that that fellowship is continually marked by the grace and love that we share with each other and that we share with the world. And we are continually welcoming others into this fellowship. It's never meant to be static. It's never meant to be exclusionary. It's always meant to be open and finding room for more and more. The glimpses of fellowship that we find here reveal why the early church was so committed to it. Last Sunday, I mentioned the one another commands of the New Testament. At one point a few years ago, that was a a study that we went through that took several months to look at all of the, the one another commands of Scripture. And we find that that's something that we cannot do alone. We only can do those in the context of being around other people. But I thought it was worth just mentioning again some of these one another challenges that were given to love one another, honor one another, accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another, agree with one another, encourage one another, serve one another, bear with one another. You're bearing with me right now if you don't listen, like listening to messages. Be kind and compassionate to one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, offer hospitality to one another, build up one another, and even wash one another's feet. All of these things were going on and became a part of the life of, of the early churches. They were grappling with, with what it meant to follow this call into fellowship. Then there's a third discovery we make here, and I think this is absolutely essential. Fellowship changes our focus from me to we. When we enter fellowship and we embrace that concept, it forces us to move from an individual look at our own faith and our own walk with God to our shared faith and our shared walk with God. Our focus changes from me to we. So go back to that verse. The first half of it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The early church was not a vague or undefined fellowship This was a fellowship that was devoted to the apostles' teaching and to each other. So this statement was describing the overall commitment that colored the entire church. Yes, there were beginners and veterans, learners and experienced teachers, but this designation describes the overall character of the first Christians. Fellowship expresses the belief that together we belong to something that is bigger. One of the key concepts here is this idea that we belong together. This sense of belonging goes against the grain of individualism. Yes, we enter Christian fellowship one by one as we put our faith in Jesus, as we discover his truth, but our faith grows through a combination of individual responsibility for us to live out our faith and through the impact and joy of togetherness where we learn from each other, we learn with each other, we learn by serving together. I was struck by 
one of the lines in the third song that we sang this morning that basically suggests that there are some things that we are not meant to carry alone in life. And there's some things that are best carried when we do that in the context of the overall fellowship. And I think we discover that most and learn that most deeply when we go through a period of suffering. And rather than uh, thinking that we're all on our own, we come together and we find that we are encouraged and we are emboldened and, and people walk beside us for just a little bit of the journey which prepares us and helps us for those days when we go back to carrying that load alone. Through fellowship, the focus changes from me to we. We're on this journey together. And this moves us to this we focus. With some people that we meet along along the way on that journey, we will have a short-term fellowship, and then we will move on to other pursuits in life as God moves us around like chess pieces around this land or around this world. With some others, there are bonds that grow as deep or deeper than family ties, and it's wonderful. This happens when we realize we have shared faith, shared experiences, shared values, and a shared mission and a shared desire to see God's kingdom grow within our own hearts, within our own church, within our own town, within our own state. This is one of the reasons why our membership class is called the 101 Belong Class. It is about belonging to Jesus and belonging to each other and belonging to the church at large. If you were to take this class, and many of you already have, you find that we are doing something that is more than identifying with just a local congregation, North River Church. We are expressing a belief that we belong now to a local Christian fellowship, and we belong forever to God's family. Belonging moves us away from mere individualism and creates bonds that take us deeper into Christian love, into Christian care, into Christian mission, and into the way that we serve the community around us. If you haven't taken the 101 Belong class, Todd's going to be teaching one uh, in the first few weeks of January, and so it's coming up soon. We try to do this right now about four times a year. I taught this class for more than 30 years, so the vast majority of you came through that process, and now Todd has taken that over the last couple of years. Through this step, we've led hundreds and hundreds of people to embrace the value of the importance of belonging together through the local church. And then there's one fourth discovery that I made as I was working through this material this week. Fellowship with God leads to a greater sense of intimacy here and now in our lives. Let me come back to that verse from 1 John chapter 1. Here's what John says. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, and then there's a purpose statement, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Notice the connection between two dimensions of fellowship. John is inviting his readers into what he calls, first of all, fellowship with us. That's fellowship on the human level. That's fellowship in the local body of the church. And that fellowship flows from fellowship with God the Father and fellowship with Jesus. So he is inviting us to move beyond knowing about God, knowing about Jesus, either historically or academically or biblically, to personally knowing God, personally knowing Jesus, and having a day-by-day fellowship with him. I have news for you. That's the goal that God has for us, is that we would walk through life in daily fellowship with the living God, 
Not that we would just know about God. Not that we would just doctrinally agree with each other. But that we would really know God. And I hope there are some in the room this morning or some who are watching us in your living room who are shocked by that statement. That, that here the Bible writers are telling us that you can have a true intimacy with God, a personal intimacy with God himself. That's what he wants with you. And this explains why the fellowship of that very first church exploded so dynamically. They were devoted to each other. They were among the handful of people in all the world who'd had this experience. They continued to meet together in the temple courts and in their homes. They broke bread together, which seems to suggest probably two things, that they shared communion sometimes in their homes, but they were eating meals together. Ever notice what happens when you invite somebody into your home for a meal? Your friendship goes to a different level. There is something about sharing food together and sitting across the table from each other and sharing something of your lives that connects you for a long time to come. From time to time, they saw other people in need and they sold off homes or they sold off properties. And this doesn't appear to be the kind of thing that was a one-time, one-size-fits-all act that happened all at once. But rather... When there were great needs, people said, you know what? We can do with less. Let's help this family over here. Let's help that person over there. We're just going to do it. And it was amazing. And because of that, the community around them began to look at the church with favor. Now, God granted them that favor, but the community also looked at them in that way. They saw the church as something that was unlike the rest of society in the way that it was functioning. And then Luke adds the final observation from that paragraph of Scripture. The Lord kept adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that? Where people shouldered each other's burdens, where they were not only experiencing fellowship on this human level, but they were experiencing fellowship with God, favor with God, favor with all the people. They had the opportunity to meet other people's needs. Sometimes their needs were the ones that were being met. And they had this profound sense that they were not in the me game, they were in the we game, and they were better together. They were richer together. They had more joy together. This also suggests that there's a direct tie between fellowship and the way evangelism begins to explode. There were people who were discovering Jesus as the Messiah for the first time after watching and wondering what made this group of people so alive, so attractive, so impactful. And they began to listen to what they were saying. And they realized Jesus must be alive in this group of people. And if that's the case, I want in. And it also reveals a growing sense of intimacy between members of the church. They belong together. They served each other. They couldn't get enough time with each other. They began to share hospitality in their homes. They prayed together. They ate meals together. They sacrificed for each other. Why? Intimacy and belonging to God leads to intimacy and belonging to the family of God here and now. This is where we get to practice what we will enjoy and experience forever at a much higher level in the presence of God. So I started off by saying that Fellowship is fundamental to Christian life, and it is, because fellowship is where we experience part of the depth 
of what we're going to know at an even greater level with God himself. So here's the big idea that I've been trying to get across this morning. Fellowship with the people of God is a reflection of our fellowship with God. I don't mean that in the sense of saying that we're going to be measured and, and if we don't have great fellowship here, it must mean that we have lousy fellowship with God. You should all feel guilty about that. That's not the point at all. But rather, the opportunity for fellowship here is a reflection of what God is doing within us and through us now and what he will do at an even greater level when we are full-time in his presence. This is where we begin to experience a little taste of heaven. As we experiment, as we experience, as we dare to go deeper in fellowship. So let me say something that is radical and revolutionary in the midst of our very, very individualistic culture. Fellowship is fundamental. It is not optional if you and I really want to experience God. This is where we get to know on a deeper level the love and grace of God in a tangible way. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. The race starts as soon as we walk out of this building as we get to experiment with what God has for each of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of the early church. Thank you for causing Luke to write down these words that describe in such an attractive way the devotion of the early church and the explosive potential. Lord, I believe with all my heart that you long to recreate that dynamic again and again today. And I pray that you will allow us to see a measure of that, even a powerful measure of that, right here through our own church fellowship. Give us the ability to dare to love, to dare to show grace, to dare to grow deeply in fellowship with each other. And we ask that as we do that, that you will allow us to experience a greater dimension of fellowship with the living God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for inviting us into this grand experiment. It's in your name that we approach the throne of God. Amen.